so glad you're here tonight. Let's pray together. God, we love you. That's why we come. We don't care that much about a foam pit, about a spider jump. We don't, we don't really care about our volleyball. We really like the comfy stuff to sit on, but it's not why we're here. We're here for you. We want to encounter you. We want to experience more of you. We want to get to know you. We want to get to know your people at a greater level. And so we ask that this night that you would be in this house, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would empower us in every way. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. When I was 16 years old, my parents thought it would be awesome to send my older brother Luke and I on a trip. Now Luke and I are 18 months apart, and he's the quiet, likable one, and I'm the bossy, controlling one. But we hung out together regularly. We were in each other's clique in high school, so we always went to lunch together, him and I and like six other friends, we hung out at these other people's houses and our house together, kind of as a big group of friends. And it was really cool to get to know my brother on that level. And I always felt like, even though he was older because I was much bossier, that I was like kind of responsible for Luke. He had these serious allergies, peanut allergies and egg allergies that were fatal. And so, and he just really didn't stand up for himself that much. If you're listening to this podcast, Luke, I heart you. Um, but he really didn't. He didn't really stand up for himself. He didn't really say, oh, I can't have that. Don't bring that egg sandwich next to me. I can literally die. So I always did stuff like that for him and stood up for him. So my parents put my brother and I on this bus with a church group, and they were a Catholic church group. My parents were super strict Catholic. And they thought, we're going to send our two teenagers with this group of 42 people, and they're gonna go from Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I was born and raised, to Denver, Colorado, to see the Pope, which was a very big deal to them. The Pope is like the most impressive earthly leader of the Catholic Church on the planet. He's supposed to be like a direct descendant from the Apostle Peter. It's a very big deal, and so they paid all this money to put us on this bus and to go see the Pope. And I was not that impressed, but I'm on the bus with my brother, and we're going there, and we were completely unprepared as a group of 42 people. We had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know important things about the mountains, that one should know if they're camping in Colorado. Things like, at night, it gets very cold. Didn't know that. In Wisconsin, if it's 82 degrees in the day, it's pretty much 80 at night. There's not this drastic temperature change. We didn't know that. We also didn't realize that you're literally a mile closer to the sun in Denver than you are in any place in the entire state of Wisconsin. The whole state of Wisconsin, the highest place is 542 feet above sea level. So we're going to the Mile High City, right? We were woefully unprepared. We didn't know about altitude sickness. We didn't know really about much about dehydration from being in high altitudes. So we just show up, 42 teenagers and a couple youth group leaders at this KOA campgrounds, and we're gonna camp here and we're gonna participate in this big event that has to do with the Pope. And one particular day, the plan was that all of the teenagers on this one certain day from all around the world would come together to meet with the Pope. And so they thought, wouldn't it be cool if everyone took a hike together? That seems like a nice idea, right? They're going to make it very spiritual and they're going to call it a pilgrimage together. And they thought, let's have the kids hike 10 miles. 
That way they'll be very focused on God. They'll be thinking about how much they need the Lord as they're hiking these 10 miles. But what I didn't tell you is the, the event planners were planning on 500,000 teenagers participating in this particular day with the celebration with the Pope. Half a million teenagers. And so people were coming from all over the world for this event. Oops, slight miscalculation. Instead of half a million teenagers actually on that day, World Youth Day in 1992, it turned out that there were one million teenagers that showed up somehow in Denver at the idea of we're going on this pilgrimage to get to Cherry Creek Park to attend a church service led by the Pope, who by the way was flown in a helicopter. The rest of us were supposed to go to the starting zone and begin our 10 mile hike. Someone in the group thought, wouldn't it be cool to be very serious about our spiritual pilgrimage if we all went without food? Right, you know, because you're from Colorado. You're thinking, this is a horrible plan. But nonetheless, this was the plan. So we ride in our school bus to the starting zone of the 10-mile hike. But guess what? One million other people are starting at said starting line. So we don't get anywhere close to the starting line. We get gridlocked way, way, way far away from the starting line. In fact, later we realized that the place we exited our bus was five miles away from the starting line of the 10 mile hike. Yes, very good math, 15 miles. We're hiking, now we're all fasting or going without food, but our group leader, oh so wise as she was said, you should all still drink water. Not Gatorade, not even soda, water. So we're gonna hike 15 miles at a mile above sea level, with no food in the blistering hot sun because World Youth Day 1992 actually took place on a week where the temperature in the city of Denver was 103 degrees. So we're hiking, right? And you might think, oh good, you're hiking in beautiful Colorado. Clearly you're gonna hike on a mountain, someplace nice, but no, we're hiking in urban Denver through downtown streets, blacktop, sun bolstering down, okay? We thought as we're exiting the bus, we don't exactly know how far 10 miles is. We don't have a clue that we're five miles before the start of said 10 miles. And so we make some decisions as some teenagers and we say, it's 103 degrees. Why would we carry coats? Let's leave them on the bus. Why would, why would we bring sleeping bags? That sounds crazy. Let's just hike on in and lay out under the stars and have a good time. We don't need sleeping bags. So we didn't carry sleeping bags and we didn't carry coats and we just sprayed ourselves with sunscreen and said that'll last us the next couple days because we didn't know we were a mile closer to the sun and we just started hiking. And because by accident we were five miles away from the starting line, what happened next was we hiked for you know several hours before we got to the starting line. And so when we got to the spot like you know five miles in, which is really 10 miles in, where we were supposed to be at noon, it was already four o'clock. So clearly there was no lunch being served. And we continued hiking and pretty soon multiple people in our group were incredibly tired, incredibly dehydrated, and basically dizzy, nauseous, altitude sick, but we're in crowd of one million people hiking through the city. 
And so pretty soon these ladies, God bless their souls, came out in their front lawns with garden hoses and just began hosing children down. This really happened, y'all. They're hosing people down. They're offering us drinks from their garden hoses. We are like drenching ourselves, guzzling their water, and then some woman brought out a box of Otter Pops. And we're like devouring these Otter Pops. And we're hiking because we have to get to the place. So finally, we get to the place where the big overnight camp event with one million people is going to be. We arrive at that place at 8 p.m. So dinner was served for those who were eating, of course not our group, was served until six. So we had missed dinner by two hours, but it didn't matter even though we'd hiked 15 miles and had no food all day. We had no sleeping bags and we had no pillows and we had no blankets and we had no jackets. So now we have 42 people with like three water bottles with nothing left in them and no place to sleep. And it was the longest, coldest, darkest, hungriest night of my entire life. Also, They thought it would be cool to, you know how there's like flooding in North Carolina this year? This particular year, there was huge flooding on the Mississippi River. And so they said, instead of having enough porta-potties for half a million people, let's donate half of our porta-potty order to the tragic flooding in the Mississippi area. So we had 25%, we had had half our order, but double our people. So we had 25% the number of porta-potties. Y'all, I was 16 years old and I peed my pants at this event, just in case you're wondering. It was a very painful time for me. So we're sleeping through the night. We're sleeping through the night. We're snuggling together for human warmth. It's long, it's dark, it's cold. And pretty soon it's morning and the sun comes up and it comes up fast and it comes up furious and we are scorching hot at about 10 o'clock in the morning. 10.30 is the event where the helicopter's flying in and the Pope is in the helicopter and he's landing and he's gonna do this big, important celebration for the Catholic Church and it's this big deal. And at 10.25, I'm standing there watching the helicopter come in and my brother, my best friend, passes out right next to me. And I turn to my best girlfriend, Susan Christensen, And I say, Luke just fell down. And she says, what? And I said, he passed out. And she passes out. So I'm standing between my brother and my best friend. And I look up around and I see that in the sea of a million people, people are passing out everywhere. And there's ambulances all over and there's paramedics running and people are screaming for help. And people are literally handing someone an IV and saying, how old are you? Are you at least 18? Put this IV in this kid's arm. It's like gone crazy, y'all. And so we're running around and there's people sticking IVs in that have no medical training. And then there's this paramedic that comes and he looks at my brother and he's like, this guy's out good. Take his shoes off, take his socks off. And so I'm taking off his shoes and socks. He's overheating, he pours a little water on him, takes his shirt, hands me his glasses and his wallet and he grabs them and throws them over his shoulder and he says, I'm taking him to a Red Cross station. And I said, which one? And he's like, I have no idea. And so I follow him, and, and my, leaving my best friend unconscious by herself, to this ambulance, and there's 10 people in this ambulance, none of whom are adults, all of whom are unconscious teenagers, and they're being shoved in this ambulance, and everyone standing around the ambulance is told, they're going to a Red Cross station, we don't know where. And so I'm like, can I go with my brother? And they're like, no. 
So I go, I go back to the random space where my best friend is. She's still unconscious. Somebody stuck an IV in her, not really sure who. And I just stand there and I'm holding my brother's boots and his glasses and his wallet and his socks. And I realize the entire special church service with the Pope is done. <laughs> Missed it all. Missed the whole thing. And now, and now there's policemen on bullhorns saying, please exit Cherry Creek Park to the south. To the south, everyone, exiting to the south. And like, I'm looking around and I'm like, of the group of 42 people that came on my bus that I knew, nine of them can walk. And the rest are like completely out of it. True story, I went scavenging for food. I found a Sam's Club size peanut butter roasted honey jiffy and I brought it back and my friends and I scooped peanut butter and licked it with our bare hands and then scooped again many, many times. And we were trying to figure out how are we going to walk out of this park and get, get out of here? How is this even possible with as sick as we are? And pretty soon we're one of the very last groups and the police are like, you need to exit to the south. Students, please exit to the south. And I'm like, I don't even know which way is south. I'm going to pass out. All my friends are unconscious. Do you want to help me carry them? Like, how are we going to hike? So now we're supposed to begin a hike back somehow to our bus. Do you know how many school buses look the same? <laughs> Literally every school bus. So if a million people, you guys think I was making this up, but this is literally what happened. There are a million people that all rode school buses that are now parked somewhere five to seven miles away. And we're supposed to drag slash carry slash somehow get each other to our school bus of all the school buses in the giant line of school buses. So our group leader seriously loses their crap and begins crying and bawling. And a stranger bus driver just says, I feel so sorry for you. Get on my bus and I'll drive you around till I find your bus. So eventually we find our bus. I don't really know what happens. And our bus driver drives us immediately to the hospital. And all of the 42 kids, only nine people do not go to the emergency room. The, all those 42 people, everyone but nine receives medical care and the bus stays in the parking lot through the whole day and the entire night. So when I wake up in the morning, my brother has now been gone for 24 hours. So I start to ask some questions. I'm like, where is he? He's in his boxer shorts. He doesn't have his glasses. He doesn't have his wallet. He has fatal allergies. No one knows where the Red Cross station is. Well, pretty soon we learn there's about 20 Red Cross stations. And this is in an era where nobody has a cell phone. And we don't know how to find them. So the adults decide everyone's out of the ER. Everyone's back on the bus. Everyone's there except Luke. And so they decide we're going to go back to our KOA where we had been camping for this week-long event. And so they go to the KOA and they pull in and everyone just goes to their tents and goes to sleep. And I'm sitting there on a picnic table at 16 years old and I'm like, where's my brother? Why does no one care? Where, why, why, is, why am I the only one awake wondering where is my brother and is he safe? And so I, try to, I go from tent to tent, leader to leader and say, guys, Luke is still missing. Guys, Luke is not here. What are we going to do to find Luke? And everyone's like, I don't know how to find Luke. I guess he's at the Red Cross station. I'm like, I know, but there's 20 of them. 
And no one knows what to do, so no one does anything. And the next morning, the sun comes up. I haven't slept all night because I'm terrified for my brother. And our group leader starts having everyone pack and roll their tents and load them on the bus. And has everyone start packing the coolers and the luggage and loads them on the bus. And pretty soon, 41 people are on the bus. Everyone except me. And the bus leader says, the group leader says, we're going to Wisconsin. And I'm like, y'all know Luke's not here, right? And she's like, yeah, but we don't know how to find him, so we're just going to head back to Wisconsin. And guys, in that moment, something broke inside of me, and I lost my ever-loving mind. I became insane person. I start screaming. I start running. I start hysterically yelling, where's my brother? Help me find my brother. I'm calling to my friends. These are my friends that are on the bus. And I'm like, get off the bus. You have to help me find Luke. We can't leave Luke in the city by himself. Have you lost your minds? And two group leaders physically pick me up cross my arms and restrain me and physically force me onto the bus. I'm kicking, I'm screaming, I'm spitting, I'm trying to throw my leg out if I can to block them from getting me on the bus because I think in my mind, I will not board that bus when my brother is lost. I will not go to another city, another town, another state without my brother. I don't care who else is on the bus. If my brother's not on the bus, I refuse to go. And what disturbed me so much is that no one else on the bus seemed to care. All around us, every day of our life, there are people that are lost. They may not be physically lost like Luke was, but they are spiritually lost. They're spiritually lost from our group. They're spiritually lost from God's family. They're spiritually lost from relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. And I so desperately remember screaming at the bus, but my brother is lost, help me. And it was devastating to feel like my friends, truly my friends, did not seem to care because they were safely on the bus and that was their main concern. And how many of us think that? We think, I'm on the bus. I'm on the Jesus bus. I'm going to heaven. I'm spiritually safe. But how many of us know that and then therefore give such little thoughts to those around us who are not on the bus yet need to be? I can't describe even, I can't put into words the level of urgency I felt that day to find and save and bring back my brother. And we ought to have the same level of urgency about our friends, about our teammates, about our classmates, to be able to find them and identify who in our life is lost Who's missing from the bus? Who's not on the roll call that needs to be? And we need to make it a matter of eternal urgency that we go out, as Jesus did, to seek and to save and to pursue those who are lost. I don't have time to go into how we eventually did find Luke, but we did find him. And he was safe, and he got on the bus. 
but I never trusted that group of people again. How can you say that you love me, but not love the one that I love enough to help find him? Luke 15, verse eight through 10 says, Jesus is speaking, he says, take another illustration. A woman has 10 valuable silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of her house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And then won't she call all her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her? In the same way, there is joy in the presence of angels of God when one sinner repents and comes home. When I was in high school and growing up, I moved like every two to three years. So I was a pastor's kid and my dad was called to many different churches. And so I never stayed at a school longer than about two and a half years. And so this was difficult. It's not easy to move schools that many times, but something that I started to do was I just wanted to camouflage myself because I was always, I was constantly the new girl and it gets really old being like the new girl. And I, I hate being the center of attention. I don't like attention. And so it was super like hard for me. So I was like, I'm going to do everything I can. I mean, starting in elementary school to middle school to high school, it's like, how can I just fit in? How can I have the least amount of attention on me? And, and so I, and I, and also since my dad was a pastor, and like most people knew that, oh, her dad's a new pastor in town or whatever. And so I didn't want to also like, besides being the new person, I didn't also want to be like the, the weird churchy, spiritual kind of girl, you know? So I like tried to just fit in, like slide under the radar as much as possible. And because of that, even though I grew up knowing Christ, I grew up loving Jesus, like I grew up with him in my heart, he was part of who I was, the enemy had me trapped in this lie that if I shared my faith with someone, I was gonna be thought of as weird. And I was gonna get more attention and more negative attention and like I was gonna be the weird kid. And unfortunately, in my head, I was stuck in that comfortable place on the bus of I'm going to heaven, I'm on the Jesus bus, I'm okay, and I didn't have a, a ton of like guts to like care a lot about other people around me. And I did, I did care about those around me, but, but I didn't know what to do with that. And so I remember moving, I moved my sophomore year of high school, which is not a fun time to move. And I moved to this incredibly humongous high school. My old high school was a, a pretty small school. And so I moved to this huge high school. I don't know anyone, it's super hard. And so I remember my junior year, I was invited to my very first party. Okay, and so I grew up, you know, like in my old school, like a party was like, let's eat cake and make funny lip sync music videos and like play board games. Okay, that was my idea of a party. So I'm invited to this party. I talked to my parents about it. They're like, yes, that's fine, you can go. And we kind of talked like, I don't know if there's gonna be alcohol. I have no, I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what I'm getting into. And so I, I go to this party. And I walk in and um, like to say like shocked was almost like an understatement. And I walk in and again, it was this huge high school. So there were probably, I'm not kidding, more than a hundred kids packed in this place. And it was like this bonfire costume party. And I am super uncomfortable. Like I didn't grow up around alcohol. I had no experience with it. And so I walk into my first party and I'm just like, what is happening? 
Like, I, I don't understand. There are people falling over, being so completely drunk. There's people making out in the corner. And I'm just like sick to my stomach. And I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Like, this is so uncomfortable. And so finally, the friend I was with who also wasn't drinking, I was like, can you please take me home? I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. And I just remember, um, I'll never forget it. My parents still talk about it to this day. So I go to my first party. I come home and I crawl in bed with my sleeping parents and I begin to weep. And I, I like experienced this like intense burden for these students in my high school who were living in such darkness and such sin. And I, w- I was seriously in bed. I was 16 years old crying in bed to my parents like, what do I do with this? Like, how do I help these people? And I was, I was so broken for them. And I was also broken and hurting for myself because I had no idea how. I had no, I, I had no support. I had no small group. I had no 4640 to like help encourage me and tell me how to like share my faith and what to do with that. And I just felt like this overwhelming sense of Jesus, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to help them. And so I really didn't. And I went throughout high school and unfortunately, like, I didn't reach a lot of people for Christ because I didn't know how. And I had that burden for them, but I didn't know how. I didn't know how to share my story. And, and I'm so, like, frustrated now looking back, now that I'm a little bit older and I've walked a little bit more of life because the enemy had so deceived me in this area of thinking people aren't going to like you and you need to fit in. And so that's so frustrating to me because one of the greatest, most impactful avenues that you will reach people for Christ is your high school. It absolutely is. Research shows that people that make a commitment to Christ do so before the age of 18. The the statistics dramatically drop after the age of 18 of people who make a commitment to follow Christ. So I'm talking to you tonight because it's you and it matters. It matters that you are sharing your faith in Christ because now is the time that people are doing it. Now is the age when people are accepting Christ and you only get one shot in high school. And thank God, right? We don't wanna redo high school ever again. Like we, we are so excited to graduate. But time is non-refundable. You don't get a second shot to share Christ with those friends that are specifically in your classes on your team right now. So I didn't know how but I do now and I wanna share with you tonight three ways to share your faith. And the first way is simply telling your story. And like I said, I didn't know how to tell my story, but it's really easy and it's as simple as just being able to relate to something that someone else is going through. So for me, I can relate to someone who has been through divorce. My parents are divorced and it was tragic for me, but the Lord was so sweet to walk with me through that really hard time, that really hard season in my life. And he, and he walked me through this healing and, and now I'm okay. But like now I have something to relate to somebody and be able to be like, I understand. And this is how I got through it. Jesus healed me. Jesus is the one that walked me through that event. And so maybe it's not divorce for you, but maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one. And that is such a hard thing to walk through. But if you have a friend that's going through something similar, now you have a perfect opportunity to share your faith, to share your story of, I understand I've been there, 
this is what helped me. This is how I got through. And maybe it's not divorce or death, but maybe it is moving. And maybe you understand what it means to feel like the new kid. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe school's really hard for you and you understand like academics and, and taking tests and those kind of things are really hard. So you can, you can meet people where they are by just relating to what they've been through. And that's how you begin to share your story and how you cope with things and why things are okay for you because you have Jesus. And this is my favorite, this is my favorite way to share my faith as well, because who doesn't like to talk about themselves, right? We all can talk about ourselves. It's really easy because it's our own story. And so it's easy to talk about myself. And y'all, it's really hard for me to not get super excited and super passionate when I think about what God has done in me and for me. Like I can't help but not get really excited that Jesus died on a cross for me and I didn't deserve it. And then he brought me out and he forgave me and like all of these awesome things, I get super excited. And so it's easy to share our faith when we just get to talk about what God has done in us. And so when we think about how we've been transformed by the work of God in our lives, we can't help but be a light. And we kind of have this like glow about us, right? And, and maybe some of you have experienced this or heard someone say to a pregnant lady, oh, you're just glowing. And you're like, what does that mean? That's really strange. Um, but, but for me, that's kind of what I think about some Christ followers. Like, you know that like Christ follower that has just like that joy and the smile and they're positive and like they might be going through a really hard time, but like they have this like light about them and people are drawn to them and, and they begin to question like, what is that? Like, why? are they glowing? And God wants to light up those dark places in your high school and in those people's lives that you come into contact with every single day. He wants to light those people up. And he wants to shine a light through you on your team, in your friends. And he doesn't need much. He just needs a willing vessel like this pickle, okay? And pickles are Pastor JL's favorite thing. Um, So he just needs a pickle. So it's, this pickle isn't special. There's, you know, JL would really think there's nothing special about this pickle. And, and it's, you know, not articulate and it's not educated, but it's a willing vessel in our experience tonight. So let's see what happens. That's pretty awesome, right? God can use a pickle to light up an entire room. You guys can all see this light. It smells funny. Okay, you guys get the idea, right? Pretty cool. God can use a pickle to to draw light to a room, and he can use you if you are willing. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 8, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. There's nothing fancy or special or, you know, extraordinary about a pickle, and and we don't have to be that either. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be, you know, super educated and know the entire Bible front and back and know every single Bible verse and know exactly what to say. And I think this caught me up. Like, I thought I had to, like, be so articulate to share my faith. And so since I didn't feel like I was that, I just didn't. But that's not the truth. God just wants a willing heart, and he can use any of us if we let him. Because when we're living that godly life, it will shine into those dark places. And the truth is, people are going to be attracted to you. When people see a light in a dark place, they want to know why, they want to know how, and this is a perfect opportunity for you to tell them because people will ask, what is different? 
Like, why, why are you okay right now when really you shouldn't be or you should be super stressed out, but like you're not, tell me what is different about you. And you tell them, you tell them your story. You tell them what God has done for you. And one really practical way that I want to encourage you to do this is write it down. Because it might sound a little bit intimidating to be like, I don't know how to share my story or share what God has done for, you, for me. Write it down, practice by writing. Like write down literally, what did Jesus do for you? Jesus came as fully God to earth to become man, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross, to rise again so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. That's what Jesus did for us. And, and then once you met him, how did he change you? And, and before Christ, I was this. And now after Christ, I was this. How, how did he change you? So write those things out. And, and practice saying them, practice in your room. This is seriously a great practical tool for you to really get comfortable with sharing your story so that you can be ready when someone asks because the Bible says we have to be ready. In 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, it says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if, some, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when, when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So be ready to share your story. The second way you share your faith is obedience. Obedience to the call that God commissioned all of us to, and that is after Jesus died and rose again and he was going up to heaven, he left all of us this commandment that said, go into all the world and, and spread the good news. And, and it's so funny because God puts people on our hearts, right? And, and you know what I'm talking about. And it's funny to me that we use this saying, God put you on my heart because it's not really on your heart, but it sounds better than he put you in my guts. But that's literally like more where you feel it, right? It's more like in the pit of your stomach, but it sounds a lot nicer to be like, God put you on my heart instead of God put you in my guts. But that's really more just so you like really know what it feels like. It's more like in the pit of your stomach. And I just, I'm being real, okay? It's not so much here that I feel that I need to pray for you, but more like here in, in the depths of my tummy. Um, and so I want you to kind of recognize that feeling, but God will put those people that, and he'll tell you, they need to know me. They need to hear your story. They need to know about me. Share me with them. And so, and so when Jesus left and, and, and he was going back to heaven and he's saying, share the good news with everyone. Share the good news to all the world. And right now your world is high school. Your world is that job that you go to, your world is your extracurricular thing that you do after school. That is your world. So you are supposed to go and be a light to your world, to your high school and share the good news. And what I love about God is he always gives us what we need to do what he asks us to do. So he's not like, hey, go, go do this and then I'm not gonna help you. He actually says in Luke 12, 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. So Jesus is saying, be obedient and go into all the world and share the good news. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to tell you what you need to say, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and give you the words. So the last way that we share our faith tonight is we invite. 
Okay, so, so first we share a story, then we're obedient, and then we invite. And this is so simple, right? It's so simple to invite, invite them here. It's so low risk. And next week we're having a huge bring your friend night, and all you have to do is get them here. We have flyers for you. You can hand out flyers and you just say, hey, you want to come to 4640 with me next week? Or you don't even have to say anything. Just, hey, here's this flyer. Hey, check this out. Hey, you should come to this. Like it's so low risk to just hand out those flyers. And it's going to be super awesome, right? We're going to give out really cool stuff like gift cards and candy and all kinds of awesome things. But honestly, the stuff isn't the real awesome stuff. Jesus is the real awesome stuff. And so Pastor Jail is going to make your job really easy. If you can get them here next week, she's sharing the good news of Jesus and she's going to do it for you. If you feel intimidated, like, I don't know how I need more help. I need, I need to practice, bring them here and she will do it for you. It's an amazing opportunity. All you have to do is invite and you have the potential to reach so many students. Your high schools are humongous here in Grand Junction, okay? Every single high school here is very, very big and you have an opportunity to reach so many people for Christ. Hand out as many flyers as you want or pray for one. You do it however you feel like God is calling you to do, but make a plan. Make a plan. Who am I going to invite? How am I going to invite them here? What are we going to do? You have seven days to start practicing. You have seven days to prepare and to make a plan how you're going to get your friends here. And so tonight, I want to encourage you, care about who's on the bus and who's not. Like, like it matters who's on the bus. It matters that we think about the people around us. Like, shocking news, the world doesn't revolve around us. There are other people in the world that desperately need Jesus and we have to learn to look around our lives and recognize who is going to hell and who is going to heaven and how can we help those people come with us. Like Pastor JL said, it is an eternal urgency. We have to have that urgency inside of us to know that it matters. I want you to hear me tonight. Don't let the enemy get the victory by your silence. That is the only way he will win is if you are silent, if you don't try. That's the only way he's gonna win. If you try, God, God's gonna be the one that, that follows that through for you. God's gonna be the one that sees the seed and, and plants it and, and does all of those things. All you have to do is be the willing vessel to share your story and be obedient and invite the Holy Spirit wants to use you to draw people to himself. And that's amazing. That's an amazing gift that we get to have if we will be obedient in it. In it. And, and he's always with us and he's giving us exactly what we need to do to, to bring people here. So if you guys would just close your eyes with me for a minute, I want you to do something for me. And I want you to just... Um, I want you to think of someone right now that hasn't ever been to 4640. Or, or maybe that you know that doesn't go to church at all. Or maybe that you know um, has been to 4640, but it's been a really long time. And maybe they've kind of wandered and they haven't been around in a while. I want, I want you to think of that person or two or five or ten or... Lord, we ask that you would highlight somebody or multiple people that we need to invite to 4640 next week. 
God, I pray that in the guts of our stomach, in the pit of our stomach, we would have an eternal urgency to see these people come to church and to come to you, God. And I pray that you would just burden us with, with the loss, God, that you would burden us to, to go and find the people that need you, that we would care about the people who aren't on the bus, who need to be on the bus. And so Jesus, would you give us opportunity? Would you open doors right now? And in Jesus' name, I pray that the enemy would no longer have a hold on anyone's voice and instead Holy Spirit that you would release your Holy Spirit in each and every one of these students voices that they would ask that they would have an opportunity to share their story that they would be obedient in the call of inviting people to you God, I pray that this would just be such an eternal urgency that every single student is burdened with this week and that next week there would be so many people that come to know you, Jesus. It is about you, it is for you, and so we wanna see you honored and we wanna see you glorified. And Jesus, that's what we're gonna be praying about this week is that people would come to know you, that there would be so many more people on the bus next week than there are this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.